Hello, this is Claire McCallan, and you are listening to Letters from the Least, a podcast produced by the Grexley Podcast Network and hosted by me, Claire. And if you're new to this, you're going to be hearing a bunch of my original poetry on a topic soon to be revealed and some of my musings about those poems and about those topics. Love your dreams, work hard, stay focused. A lot can change in a year, I know this. But even if it doesn't, don't let that break it down. Your goals and your dreams is where the magic's found. Failure's something that we all must accept because the only thing worse than death is regret. You dig? So today's topic is the theology of the body and exercise. This is something that I am very passionate about. Uh, As a Catholic, we spend so much time focusing on our spirituality and our emotions, and that's amazing, but I think sometimes we do neglect that dual physical aspect of our life and the ways that our exercise can better us as a spiritual being. And it doesn't have to be crazy. You don't have to be, you know, doing God knows what. Like You can be taking that time and loving yourself and loving the world enough to go do a lap around the pond near your house or something, but using this gift that God gave us and using it properly um, and seeing that kind of as a uh, subsidiary of theology of the body. Um, A little bit about this on a personal note. I just ran my first marathon in June. It was during the time of COVID, just in case future historians are I've gotten so desperate as to listen to my podcast for answers about the time. Um, it was during the time of COVID. So I'd signed up for an actual marathon, didn't happen. And so I had to do my own marathon. So I ran around a pond in Cambridge, Massachusetts, where I live. I ran around the pond 10 times and that was my marathon. And my good pal Miriam came and cheered me on, which was awesome. I got yelled at a ton by walkers uh, around the pond for not wearing a mask, but to be fair, I was kind of choking on my own phlegm by mile like 12. So I was just trying to, I wasn't trying to breathe on anyone. Um, and that took me about four months to train for. And now Miriam and I are training for a speed trial and it's a 10 week training program of us trying to knock about 30 seconds off of our mile. It doesn't sound like much, right? Like, oh, you just got to get 30 seconds faster. It has been the most brutal experience of my life. This has been so hard. And following this schedule, this exercise schedule has been just horrible. It has been so, so hard in every way. Um, But the great thing has been not only has it been so empowering to see us make these changes and make progress. We can already see that we're getting faster. We'll know for sure in a week. I'll update you then because we have our time trial. We, we're finishing up week nine now. So at week 10, we have our time trial to see if we've broken seven minutes. But to learn that I can commit to something like this and to have this discipline, that has been the greatest gift. It's not really about getting faster. Like, what do I think? I'm going to join the Olympics or something? Like, no, unless you're a you're on Team USA and you're listening to this right now and you want to have me, like, I'm definitely interested. Um, but yeah, it's it's been about learning that I can improve myself and I can make those hard changes and I can stick to the hard thing, which I think is a very important lesson for us as people of faith to learn. Because even a lot of times these spiritual changes we want to make, these emotional changes, 
they seem so impossible. And we're like, oh my gosh, that level of holiness is not for me. That prayer schedule is not for me. None of these, none of these things are for me. Sainthood, like what seems harder and more far off than sainthood? And taking a challenge to your physicality, I think is one of the fastest ways and easiest ways to teach yourself like, oh, I can do hard things and I can literally change my myself and blow past those limitations that I just taken for granted as part of who I am. Uh, so I think making those victories in your physical life can be really empowering, not just in your emotional and spiritual lives, uh, mental lives, but also just to who you are as a whole person, a, an individual. So poem one was written during beginning of, or maybe about mid-marathon training. And it is called A Simple Yet Brutal Prayer for the Days Where You Don't Seem to Be Getting Faster or Stronger. If I never get any faster than this, then that's okay. This will be enough. Oh, be enough. If I never get stronger than this, then that's okay. This will be enough. I will be enough. Whatever my capabilities are, they are already more than I could have ever dreamt. To be able to smile, wave, walk, or jog is an unspeakable act of creativity and mercy at the hands of my maker. Mobility is a mercy and it is my responsibility to use it for a good that extends outside myself. What good will come of my speed? What good will come of my strength? Am I doing this to shrink or to grow? Whatever trail and trial ahead, I will meet it with a mercy that matches that which I've been given. Gentle on myself, gentle on others, hard on the pavement. So I really do want to focus, starting with that one, uh, especially because I'm just assuming that, you know, I could be wrong, but I'm assuming most of my listeners are females. And so often with our culture, we are taught that like to be a girl and to exercise you know, it's not about getting swole. It's not about like making the team. A lot of times it is about like getting smaller. It's about losing weight, um, looking better in your clothes. And that's why I included the line, am I doing this to shrink or to grow? And I think that's a really important mindset that I wanted to make clear before we dive into some of these more intense poems about our physical lives and our exercise. Because if you're going into this challenge with your biggest main goal. It's okay to want to get in better shape. And if that means like doing those things, and that's okay if you're doing it in a healthy way, um, both emotionally, mentally, physically, you name it. But your number one goal cannot be to shrink. It has to be to grow and not just to grow physically, like in your physical capabilities, but to grow uh, in your mental capacity for suffering and in your emotional capacity for what you thought you were possible, you were um, capable of, uh, and just going into it with that mindset. Because if you're just going into it looking to lose things, you're, you're going to lose. But if you're going in looking to see how you can grow, that's going to be where the real successes are. Um, and I just wanted to use that as our first poem before, yeah, we head into the second poem, which is a little bit more intense. This was right before I ran my marathon. And I was hitting total rock bottom. And I'm very excited to read this to you today because 
as I always say, this is my diary and I could really use this poem today because I've got my mild trial in a week and I am hurting. I am tired. I don't really want to run anymore. <laughs> I want to take a break and I feel very much at the bottom of my barrel right now. So let's see what old Claire had to say on the topic. Poem two. And when you have nothing left, when you've hit the bottom of your barrel, well then what? I guess what I'm asking is, what lives under the bottom of your barrel? After you've clawed away the rotten wood, after all that's left of your manicure is blood and keratin, what's left at the bottom of that dang barrel? Whatever it is, was it worth digging for? Is the foundation of your foundation just the laziness of an earthworm yawning excuses or scraping by on debris? Or is it the willingness of the silt begging to be planted in? I've had my days where the bottom of my barrel tasted like salt and smelled like sulfur. Just today, I tried to eat my way to the bottom of the barrel. I swallowed mouthfuls of dirt only to shatter my teeth on bedrock of granite. Apparently, my barrel had been left in a quarry. Careless. I can't say for sure who left it there, but my money's on me, so I swallowed my broken teeth in pride and reassured myself that a smile was a casualty I was willing to endure. I rose up out of my own barrel and broke my back, pushing it to softer ground. I blessed the splinters in my palm as wood of the cross and the ache in my muscles as purpose, and I... And I did it. I moved my barrel onto fertile ground, and I dug, dug dug. And I'm still digging, unsure of what I'm moving towards, only knowing that I'm getting closer. See, and that is why we had to start with that first soft poem where we talked about loving ourselves, because dang, that is that is intense. And I remember after writing it, a couple of people being like, hey, like pretty, pretty intense for someone who's not a professional athlete, pretty, pretty intense for someone who is very much just like a hobbyist. Um, but it's not really about the running for me in this one. This is so many things in life. These, when you, we talked about it in the first episode about wanting to have a dream or well, having a dream and like wanting to make it in something. And it always requires you to give more than you ever thought you could give. And yeah, that's, that's what it's been for me with this, these many running challenges. I, I am preparing to do my first triathlon in a couple months and that scares the heck out of me because my swimming looks a little bit like a drowning dog, like doggy paddle, doggy paddle, cry, 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 doggy paddle, doggy paddle, cry, cry, cry. Um, but doing these things that we absolutely cannot do and just digging down at the bottom of our barrel, it, I mean, it builds character and it builds not just that physical strength, but that spiritual strength that we so need for all of the challenges ahead. Um, I do want to point out the part of the poem where we talked about the barrel having been left in a quarry and so that's why you couldn't dig any deeper you, you hit granite and you're like well, I can't go any deeper because I'm not in fertile ground I can't dig through granite how did I get here and realizing that so often the reason that we're in a place where we can't dig anymore is ourselves we're the ones who place our barrels in these in these quarries in these rocks this non-fertile soil these places we can't continue to dig and so maybe for you that looks like being part of a friend group that's not supportive of your goals 
Um, Because you're not going to be able to dig very far without people cheering you on and supporting you and watching other people do amazing things. Like you're not going to go very far without that support group and that inspiration. Um, Maybe if we're getting really technical about taking care of our bodies, like if one way that you can misplace your barrel in a quarry is by not properly fueling yourself. I'll say it again. We talked earlier about like if you're exercising to shrink instead of grow. If you're not fueling yourself and you're exercising, exercising, maybe you're over-exercising. And if you're not providing your body with the nutrients it needs, whether you're starving yourself, maybe you're not putting it in those terms. Maybe because that feels really intense to admit to yourself. But if you're not giving yourself, let's use some like less scary terms. If you're not giving yourself what your body really needs, and your body will tell you what it needs. If you're not giving it that, or maybe you're you're purging, you're taking those nutrients you're giving your body your nutrients and then forcing them out all of these things are forms of leaving your barrel in a quarry where you're just never going to be able to dig any deeper because you're not giving yourself the opportunity to you need to be feeding yourself uh and unfortunately our culture we have such a crazy culture of dieting and smaller 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 and never a culture of nutrition and giving yourself the tools and placing your barrel in a place where you continue to dig and dig and dig. So that is my thoughts on that and kind of an explanation of why that was written the way that it was and the symbolism behind that. Uh, And we're just going to jump right into another kind of intense one, if you guys don't mind. This is, you know, a lot of times I get really, really intense when I run in my head because it's just the adrenaline is pumping. I'm actually very often the worst version of myself when I'm running because with all that adrenaline going through me, I become a much less patient person. Um, and I, you know, I'm out here like pushing pedestrians out of the way, kicking dogs out of my way. That's not true, but it feels like that, you know? <laughs> um, and, but I do tend to write in my head some of these poems. So that's why they get so intense because they're written during a time of extremely high adrenaline. And while I'm processing the pain through poetry, while also processing it through my body during sprints. So, poem three. I try to exercise my sedentariness back into the sediment, believing once again that control is something I can pound into a gravel road. Mile one, I'm flying. Mile four, I'm strong. Mile eight, it hurts, but I keep going. I tell myself that this, my Insult to injury is proof that I am stronger than weakness. So I work my bones into dust and my dust into protein powder. I max out my coping mechanisms until they become the very thing I need help coping with most. So I lick my wounds and ice my knees. I pick up a pen and a paintbrush and I make. And I make. And I make because when I produce, I am productive. When I create beautiful things, I become a beautiful thing. And when autonomy becomes a luxury, excess becomes my vice. I am a glutton for autonomy and I am in desperate need for a greater weapon than my own ability. Because all swords, no matter how mighty, are double-sided. When I grip the hilt too hard, I lose the bout every time. My only chance at victory no matter how often I forget it, is surrender. <sighs> so we'll say it one more time for the folks in the back. We are reading my diary, my letters from 
myself to myself because I am very aware of the fact that I use overworking as a crutch and even a vice sometimes, especially in times, I think this is very common, when I don't feel control, I try to grab control by becoming excellent and being the hardest working version of myself I possibly can. So I'm out there pounding pavement. I am creating, I'm selling prints online. I've got shows. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. I can do it all myself. I have control. There's no COVID. There's no unrest in the United States. I can do anything. Um, it's a it's a coping mechanism and it's a very weak one because these attempts that claiming victory over your own weakness instead of acknowledging your own weakness and surrendering over to the process. It's foolish, and yet I do it every single time. Gosh, I gotta I gotta read my diary more often. This is this is something here, guys. Um, when I create beautiful things, I become a beautiful thing. And when autonomy becomes luxury, excess becomes my vice. So that was very much written in regards to transitioning into this COVID time. When autonomy becomes a luxury, excess becomes my vice. It's very true. And I think a lot of people have been feeling this. And we see this even in our funny little trends, whether it's uh, TikTok or bread baking or whatever it is, we throw ourselves into something in an attempt to gain control. Because if I can control this one thing and go so crazy at it, then maybe we're not in a international, you know, we're not, we're not in a pandemic. We're not experiencing these things. Uh, I am a glutton for autonomy, and I am in desperate need for a greater weapon than my own ability. Yeah, that is just me always trying to fix things on my own. Because all swords, no matter how mighty, are double-sided. When I grip the hilt too hard, I lose the bout every time. My only chance of victory, no matter how often I forget it, is surrender. But yeah, well just got taken to task by my own poem. So that's how my day is going. <laughs> um, I'm going to finish this out today with actually, this is not what I planned on, but I would love to share my favorite, well, not my, my favorite spoken word. Previously, I shared my poem about the dragon who fancies himself St. George. That is my favorite thing I've ever written, but this is my favorite of my spoken word poems. I do it at every single show because it does tend to be the most universal, so that's great for an audience if I can engage every single person because everyone, for the most part, knows what it, it feels like to have a dream. Um, and when I wrote this poem about my dream, and it is a metaphor, it is about being pregnant with a dream and feeling that dream grow inside of you and it kicks and it needs feeding and there's all of this unknown and very much just dragging out that metaphor of pregnancy. Um, I wrote it about my dream poetry, but also these days, especially while poetry's kind of had to chill out during COVID, um, I have been thinking of it with my running goals. So let's re-examine, do something kind of new, re-examine this poem through the lens of those physical goals. Put your hand on my stomach. Can you feel her? Blessed in holy water and baptized in her mother's blood, my dream sculpted from Adam's rib and Eve's touch, she's kicking. She's sticking to my bones. Her sticks and stones don't hurt. They heal. Can you feel her? When girls my age conceive, they're usually asked, 
aren't you a little young for a little one? But when I tell people about my dream, my invention, her conception, they say, aren't you getting a little old for such a big dream? Pregnant pause. Explanation because you're probably wondering if this is some sort of announcement. No, as far as announcements go, this one is cut clean. I'm just announcing that I I'm going to be the mother of a beautiful dream every night as I try to sleep. I can feel her kicking, teething, breathing, breathing, dreaming my dream. I've been bleeding for her since I was 13. My dream, she's the greatest manifestation of my femininity. She's strong, getting stronger every day, holding her breath a little longer. My dream, she looks like me. She has my eyes. She cradles the weight of my lies on her little shoulder. She's made brave by the mistakes of my past. She's older. My dream, she's going to be everything I couldn't be. She's going to make me everything I never thought I could be. She looks like me and her father. She looks like me and my father. She looks like me and the father who planted me in the soil with a seed in my soul, with a need in my soul to deliver my dream to creation, to deliver my dream to his nation. People say they care. Offering me back out, back alley coat hanger cliffhangers. Like, how are you going to afford this? Why didn't you avoid this? You should use protection college. You should have known better. Acknowledge you had a spot in the race. What a waste. But I know that my dream, she's a product of love. Because there's nothing more natural or beautiful than a girl bringing a dream into this world. Even if she has to raise that dream alone, even if she has to dream that dream all on her own. We have to teach this to little girls when they're young. We have to help them become the type of women who aren't afraid to dream alone. The type of woman who can raise a dream all on her own. If you should ever have to give the talk. To a little girl, if that day should come, I want you to look her in the eyes and say, little one, when a girl loves herself very much, she believes in herself. And that's where dreams come from. I joke because I hope that a belly laugh might shake her right out of me. And with a giggle, I could hang another dream on the family tree. But truthfully, I am so scared. I've heard that the first dream is usually a stillborn, but I tell myself that means my dream will be born still. I will wait until the day she's due, procrastinate to announce a dream who will coronate rain over my future, crack open my womb, roll away the stone, and open the tomb. Oh, little town of Brooklyn. Has there room? In the inn is there room for more dream in the city that never sleeps. There's a lot of singers, a lot of musicians, a lot of cooks in Hell's Kitchen. Is there room for one more dream to lay her head? Can these city streets cradle a manger bed? Rock up by baby, you're driving me crazy. Deliver, deliver, deliver. I shiver. Wondering what'll happen the day she delivers. Because I only know what she sounds like inside of me. I have no idea what the reality of her outside voice will be. And that terrifies me. She terrifies me. <sighs> so there you go. There's my pregnant with a dream poem. And we can kind of take a moment to examine it through these 
exercise goals, and especially if I'm speaking personally, my my running goals, um, it is always worth mentioning because someone gets it twisted every time. It's a metaphor. It's poetry. Not having a baby, no matter how badly my parents would like it. There's there's some things that have to come first. So. So no, it's about running. It's not about a baby. <laughs> um, yeah, I was trying to listen to it and self-examine while I was reciting it, but also you get a little caught up in all of it. But especially if you are a runner or an athlete, a weightlifter, you name it, you're working towards this goal. There's always a culmination of your efforts that you're working towards, whether it's a big game or a race. Um, whatever the heck it is that weightlifters do. I think you guys are amazing. I'm totally intimidated. I really want someone to teach me someday. (laughs) Uh, What do you guys do? You PR, right? Um, But you're always working towards kind of this birth of your dream. And I think things that people don't always communicate is that there's a lot of anxiety leading up to that big moment. And all of this time of being pregnant with your goal and pregnant with your dream and your efforts and not really knowing how it's going to deliver and what you're about to produce into the world. It could be your PR, it could be your best time ever, or it could just really not work, especially when we are making these physical goals for ourselves. There's so much outside of our control, whether it's, you know, a race, you have the elements, but also just like your own physical limitations and injury. Um, For me, I, something about running, just I keep getting really sick and I have to deal with all this digestive issue where I keep, I feel sick. And have to stop. Um, you'll be surprised by the curveballs that are thrown at you, and the, the anxiety it gives you as you prepare to produce this dream and this result, this goal out into the world. But like all dreams, as we've talked about consistently, I think through these few episodes, it is so worth it. And the road to those successes that you want in your physical life and in in these exercise goals, it is just like the, you know, we talk about the yellow brick road. This is the failure road. You are just going to be stepping on a road all the way there, just paved by your own failures and your own rejections and all of these horrible days and days where you worked out so hard that you threw up or the shin splints or the weird cramps, you name it. It's just paved with that. And that is the pound of flesh that it requires. And it is, as we keep saying, just more than worth it. You are still getting such a steal to have gotten to realize your goal and found that empowerment. And I guess to circle back, we have to ask ourselves, so what is the result of making these physical successes and reaching these physical goals? What is that result on the spiritual being? And I would just reiterate that you are going to teach yourself the extraordinary bounds of your own discipline because if you are someone who like myself um, has a very hard time getting up for like an early morning mass or something when you are spending weeks teaching yourself that you can wake up to work out and that you can do this thing you didn't think you could do you're resetting your body to be this more disciplined individual and it is only going to have positive effects on your spiritual and emotional and social life. It's a great stress reliever. So if you're someone who maybe has a little bit of trouble when it comes to snapping towards other people and losing patience, hey, you might be like me. You might be a little bit lacking in patience when someone's not getting out of you around the sidewalk, but it is going to release those endorphins and it is going to release all that stress that you're holding 
to kind of make you a little bit more of an agreeable person, you know, and the confidence boost that's going to come from this is just about the best thing that's going to happen. And confident people are kinder people, truly confident people, people who know whose confidence comes from a genuine knowledge of their self-worth, a humble confidence, but the best people to be around. They never have to make someone else the butt of their joke. They never need to put down somebody else's accomplishments because they know their own. And I think that is something that you will find in yourself of feeling less threatened constantly by other people and less insecure about yourself. And it's not going to be about the way that exercise makes you look. It's going to be about the way that exercise makes you see yourself because of the way that it's changing you into this disciplined individual and to this person who purposefully chooses to do hard things and is not deterred by rather consistent failures. Uh, and when those successes have do come and they will come, it's just the sweetest feeling. And I want that for all of you. Just always lead with your heart. That's lesson one. Because if you don't, you'll have nothing, baby. Lesson one. Off the soapbox and back into the world I go. <laughs> this has been Claire McCallan with Letters from the Least. And you know what? Oh, I did it again. I don't, I don't know why I ever thought that I could promise you guys book and movie suggestions when here I am just always trying to get away without giving you one. Let's see. Book suggestion. What have I been reading lately? We did Mae Finchie. We did ABC Murders. Did Alice Network. What else has been on my plate? Oh my gosh, I read Child 44 earlier this summer. I don't know if that really has my recommendation. You're just hearing what I've recently read. Not necessarily a recommendation. That one is about Soviet Russia and it is just as cheerful as it sounds. And it is about finding a serial killer in Soviet Russia. So you can only imagine. It's always winter. People are dying. There's a horrible regime. It's a whole thing. It was an interesting read. Um, if you can handle kind of those darker stories and mysteries, I, I really enjoyed that one. And as for, I feel like I should probably throw in at this point a religious book as well, Orthodoxy by G.K. Chesterton. I probably read it like six months ago. It's not been on my beach reads, but if you're looking for something that is just going to totally blow your mind, get you in the mood to write, give you something to say, Orthodoxy. If you're feeling uninspired as a writer right now and you need a starting spot, read that. That's going to get you all fired up about all the good stuff, all inspired, not just by his message, but also just his style and his humor. I got the biggest crush on G.K. Chesterton. <laughs> um, so that has my official stamp of approval and recommendation, orthodoxy G.K. Chesterton. And as for something to watch this week, ooh, I suggested Dora. That was embarrassing. I suggested Spinster. I stick by that. Thing that's coming to mind is the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. It makes me laugh, but it doesn't make most of my friends laugh. So this is a, a risky recommendation, but it is one of my all-time favorite shows. Can't say enough good stuff. It is very light, very innocent. It takes place in New York City. So it has just a huge soft spot in my heart. Um, and I, I, it makes me laugh. If you're looking to laugh and you need something a little bit lighter in these crazy heavy times, I recommend the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. And I wish you a wonderful rest of your day. This has been Claire McCallan and Letters from the Least presented by the Grexley Podcasting Network. If you like what we do here, please consider going to our Patreon and donating so that we can continue to do it. And I will talk to you soon. Have a good one and God bless. Bye.